0: Childhood trauma is something so many of us face. It can shape us. Growing up, WNBA center, published poet, and soon-to-be law student Amani McGee Stafford faced more than any child should. It wasn't always easy for her. I'm Natalie Pierre, and Imani joins me on this week's Mental Health Time Out. As you'll hear, she has turned a childhood full of darkness into a bright and inspiring light. Amani, it's so great to have you on. Your story, you're, you're really an inspiration. You know, growing up, you experienced sexual abuse starting at just eight years old. That led you to a childhood photo of anxiety and depression. You know, on three different occasions, you attempted to take your own life before the age of 17. I saw in, in one piece, you actually said that you were 15, it was your second attempt. You were training with USA Basketballs, under-17 team, and after you actually wanted to tell someone at USA Basketball, but then after you thought about it, you were like, I don't want them to think I'm crazy. I don't know how to explain like what I'm going through. So you decided to just play it off and pretend like you were sick to struggle and not be able to tell anyone about what you're struggling with. is something I experienced. It's something that led to my suicide attempt but I think it's something that a lot of us can find ourselves in that situation where we can't open up. I think right now during this pandemic, that's where people are at. A lot of people are struggling, but not necessarily being vocal. From the poetry to your blo- blogs, I saw your video blogs, to just sharing your story. It seems like you're in a very different place now. What have you learned just about the value of being open and honest with your abuse, with your struggles, and then based on your own experiences, what would you say to people who right now are struggling in silence?
1: Um, so I think first things first, like for me, mental health, I have a mental illness, I'm bipolar. So mental health will be an ongoing journey, journey throughout my life. It's not something that is kind of um, seasonal or situational. It's something that I'll always deal with. Um, and I think coming to that conclusion and understanding that helped me in terms of just how I approached myself and how like just being nice to myself because i think i had a lot of internalized shame around mental health because i didn't like grow up in a household where we talked about these things and i understood what was happening like that wasn't my experience and so like for the longest time i'll go on and off meds up and down and i would get upset when i would crash or when i would be And feel like i'd undone everything and i think like a lot of it is about education and changing the way we think about mental health and mental illness because when you change those things it's a lot easier to talk about it because like we feel completely comfortable talking about like diabetes or i have low high blood pressure whatever these things may be and it's just a continual conversation but when i speak about my mental health now it's like oh gosh i'm nervous or I don't know how I'm going to be received, but in reality, like mental health is just as important as physical health. And until we kind of can have those conversations in such an open manner, it's going to like kind of create the same problems. Um, And now, like, I think um, I obviously live, like I'm like super extreme when it comes to sharing my story and being open. And I completely understand, like, that's an unrealistic expectation for 98% of the world. Right. Um, But when I do this, my goal isn't for uh, people to necessarily become like me but for people to see themselves in me or feel comfortable maybe just sharing one more percent of their life because you just really never know how many people are waiting to hear your story or are experiencing the same things as you but you guys haven't shared it with each other
0: yeah i mean what would you for those people that are struggling like you said it doesn't have to be what you or i do in terms of being very honest and vocal and and you know just putting it all out there and saying, this is me, this is what I've been through. But for those people, just that, that first step of, you know, I think both of us, we were these people that were so afraid to, you know, for me, I didn't even understand what I was going through or my trauma. I just, I knew I couldn't talk because I felt like I had to be strong. And exactly. yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, especially growing up in a space where, you know, athletics and, and and all of that you're like you got to be tough and tough people don't talk about feelings that was just the climate that i think we've grown up in but for those people in terms of breaking that down it seemed impossible at that point for me to even vocalize a struggle how did you take that first step of going from that person that was like a lot of people now and not being able to wrap your mind around saying anything about struggling to the woman now who just puts it all out there and and wants to use what you didn't know or failed to understand because you didn't, no one taught you that to help others and, and to make um, the conversation
1: easier. I think, like I was saying earlier, like, it's definitely about education, right? Like a lot of it, I couldn't put a name to what I was going through and I very much believe that I was the only person in the world with this experience. Um, and like the person I've become has made this like, a, have made a poignant effort to make this a choice, right? But when I first started sharing my story, it wasn't a choice. It just kind of happened. Like, it kind of just happened. Like, I was doing, I was working on poetry and I was performing a piece about my abuse, kind of confronting my abuser. And um, Longhorn Network was following me around, like, doing like an artsy athlete piece. And ESPN owns Longhorn Network. They saw it and made it a huge piece on SportsCenter. And like, this wasn't anything, I didn't have any really say in it. It kind of just, became this huge thing and I was like 19, 20. And I remember just feeling like, wow, like, oh my God, my whole life is on the internet. Like I'm so scared, I'm so nervous. And then I, so many people reached out to me, like people that I probably known for my entire life or known for so long that I felt like I knew, right? Or like, wow, I went through this too. Or my brother went through this, my sister went through this. And it was crazy to me how common my story was. But my entire life, I felt like it was just me like that I was just cursed with this, like this existence or this circumstance. When in reality, like it's a very real thing, but because we don't talk about it, when we go through these things, we all feel as though it's just us and no one will understand. And like, that's why I'm so vocal because I hope that like I can encourage more people to take a stand and kind of speak about it. Like I'm so in love with, Liz Cambage and Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan, because like the more conversations we have about it and the different perspectives and experiences we have, the more easy it is for the regular person at home to be like, oh, this is what I'm going through. Like I see someone else doing this, right? Um, and like, then you can feel like you're a part of this kind of mental health conversation. But a lot of times we only see the extremes. We see someone super suicidal crying all the time, or we see like perfect life, smiling, everything's great. Everything's in order in reality. Like we live in that spectrum, but because we only see the extremes, we feel like it doesn't apply to us.
0: Yeah. And like you said, you didn't even come out and say, I want to share my story. I want to do this. You were put in a position. And your story came out and then you realized how powerful it could be. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. And I think my situation was a little bit different in terms of, I just decided, you know what, there had been a couple suicides in the news. And I was like, I think my story can really help some people. And, but I put it out there thinking people are going to unfollow me. People are going to have all these like nasty stuff to say. And then for me, so I prepared for that. I literally went through a process of this is going to be rough. I'm going to log off. But when I logged on, I was overwhelmed because it was a ton of people. And my following on Twitter, I'm a, you know, as a sports journalist, is coaches, it's athletes, it's these people that are, are also grown up in this society where they feel like they have to be tough and strong. And you had coaches saying, I'm a dad of three girls and I've been struggling, I've been trying to hold on. And, but you know, I deal with depression every day and, it, and it's tough. And so I had all these stories and people just wanted to talk. And I think it's so, so powerful. Um, I think another thing that, that you and I also have in common is, you know, growing up in high school, I would, you know, I was an athlete and I was very good at that. I was I was in journalism at that point and I was very hardworking, good at that. But I would also do these things and I would act out and I would do stupid things, impulsive, stupid things, get into some trouble. I was just kind of a rebellious, did whatever. And I don't think at that point I just thought, like, what's wrong with me? I'm doing so many things right on the court or you know in this space of journalism which I'm really passionate about why can't I get out of my own way and you know I think with time and the boredom and the elimination of things like work for a lot of people right now they can be kind of start on a path of like self-destruction and and do some of those things where they just really want to get through this time but they're putting themselves in a in a kind of a mess of a situation. When you were going through that and you were kind of rebellious growing up, did you understand the pain and the trauma that was fueling some of like your actions at that point?
1: Not at all. Uh, and so it's funny because people that know me now, right, don't really know who I was. <laughs> And, like, you know, like, so I always say, like, I've come a long way. And people that have grown up with me and know me my entire life, they always are like, bro, it's crazy to see you who you are today because we never really thought, like, nobody, I never thought I would live past 18. And then people that I grew up with, they didn't think I would be this person. No way. Like, and it's like, I have high school teammates that, so, like, I've come and hung out and they're like, bro, it's really crazy just to see like who you become. Cause we definitely did not think like <laughs> that she was going to get it together. <laughs> um, but I think like with maturity um, and just kind of self-reflection, like I think, I think we're always kind of focused on the destination and we, when it comes to self-love and, and knowing yourself, it's a continual journey. Right. And you have to figure out like why you do certain things. And like a part of bipolarity is mania and mania is kind of, a rash kind of period of crazy decisions and hyperactivity um, and a lot of energy. And like, I know what my mania looks like now. So I can say like, yo, woo, 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 woo. let's like reel it in. Let's figure this out. Um, and I haven't always been able to do that. And I haven't always been able to understand like why I make these decisions or why I'm doing this or why I'm doing that. And like, it's just come with knowing myself and getting more more context in terms of my mental illness. And it's an everyday thing, right? Like I think you have to continually evaluate yourself and like some days we don't like who we are and we don't like what we do, but the 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 true strength and like the moment is like saying, I'm gonna try again, I'm gonna fix it and kind of giving yourself that latitude and that forgiveness to mess up, to make bad decisions.
0: You released a book of poetry about love, about heartbreak.
1: Ooh, Lordy <laughs>
0: You were, you were married, you got married at 20 years old. And I heard yeah. you at that book release say that part of you getting married at 20 years old was you trying to hide from yourself. You actually said something that I think is super powerful, which was quote, did we love each other because it felt good? Did we love each other because it looked good or did we love each other because it's easier to ignore yourself when there's someone standing next to you? You know, for me, I'm someone that truly believes in marriage. I believe in the vows you take. I believe that when you make that commitment, it's forever. And I never believed in divorce growing up, but I'm 30 years old and I got married when I was 18 and I got married when I was 25 and I am twice divorced. (laughs) And I think instead of finding that stability and love within ourselves, it can be so much easier to just pour yourself into someone else or pour yourself. Some people, it's not just, you know, marriage, they, they pour themselves into their jobs. And I did both very at a very high level. But, um, and I, and I did that, but like you said, at the end, you're left with yourself and and it's another one of those situations where you're just like, man, why, why did I feel the need to get married this young, You know, like get to know yourself. And when you're so, when you're that age, I'm not saying it doesn't work out for people, but when they're you're that age, you're still growing, you're still learning. And so if you haven't really gotten in touch with yourself, especially from people you were raised in a single parent household for the most part with your, your dad being that person there. And, you know, you had a stepmom and, 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 and all of that. But when you don't have a great example of love, to understand and to say, I'm going to go out and get this. You don't know what this looks like. So like, how do you do that? And I think that's what I struggled with. And I think, you know, right now though, I see a lot of people, they're quarantining, they live alone and they're like, man, like when I get out of quarantine, I'm going to go get me a boyfriend like quick. Cause like, they're really uncomfortable being home with themselves. And that can be, an in, like a, a weird time if you haven't gotten to know yourself. For you, you know, as hard as it can be to get divorced, how have you really gotten to know yourself and love yourself since? And, you know, what have you done to really work to ensure that, you know, moving forward, your happiness is really, comes from within and not from validation, not yeah, so being loved by, yeah. Someone else.
1: Man, so like that's, phew, I was with my, my ex-husband since I was 17. We met at 17, 18 got married at 2021, divorced to like 22, 23, something in there. Um, and I've never really been a checklist person in terms of like, I need to get married. I'm going to see myself. It was kind of like, eventually I'll probably get married, but that was never my focus. Yeah. But my ex-husband other thing, he came from, his parents were married for 35 years. Like his his mindset was very much like, I will find a wife and go on into my career. Um, and I was like, I love you. So whatever we want to do, let's do it. Like that like and um like i realized throughout that process because like similar to you i did not believe in divorce there was no way i was gonna get divorced i didn't want to get divorced like no no way in hell i don't believe in that like i didn't even make plan b's like i'm a type of person like it's a plan a that's it like i'm that type of person and it's crazy to think because like i'm 25 now and i own my own house and i remember the day i bought this house i cried um, and it wasn't t- tears of joy. It was because I had planned this out with my husband, right? Like these things were were plans. I never imagined that what I said would ha- would would not be what happened. Um, but realistically, like we weren't prepared, and we like my mother always says, "You don't know what you don't know." And I thought that was the stupidest saying growing up. And I used to get so annoyed. And like as I get older, I completely understand because I never experienced healthy marriage. I didn't know what I was supposed to look for or not look for, what red flags were. And very much so, I didn't know what I actually wanted. I didn't know who I was. And I realized I had gained so much self-worth from who I was in correlation to a man and being so-and-so's sister and being so-and-so's daughter and being so-and-so's wife. I gained like I loved being wife. Oh my God. Like I loved it. But there was so much more that came with that that I wasn't prepared to do. So much work that came with that. And the thing about marriage is it's a mirror. It isn't anything other than a mirror. All the things that you hide from yourself or you choose not to deal with, they will continually come up in the relationship because you can't run away from this partner because he's that close to you. You guys share that intimate space, right? And so for me, like, I was making decisions that I didn't like and I was doing things that I didn't like. And I realized, like, I'm not ready to be here and I have to make the hard decision to leave this situation because I think it's what's best for both of us. And like, to this day, I probably will always love that man. Like I, I, um, I wish him the best. I actually spoke with him a couple of days ago actually. Um, but you know, like we were young and dumb and in love and yeah. <laughs> you know, like as you get older, you kind of realize things and you realize what you look for and what you don't want in a relationship. And it's very hard to be a divorcee <laughs> at 25 but i learned so much in that relationship and that book was really just me figuring it out um and figuring out like because the hardest part for me about getting divorced was forgiving myself
0: yeah
1: i was so upset with myself that i would one i saw my divorce as a failure yes um because like you picked this life. Like this is the first relationship, especially coming from a situation of abuse, right? Like you can't pick your parents, you can't pick your family. This is the first relationship I picked. Yes. And it didn't work out. Like I made this choice. There's no one else to blame. Nobody forced me to walk down the aisle with him. No one forced me to stay in this relationship. I chose this. So for the longest, it was hard for me to say like, it's okay, that's okay. Like it didn't work out, you made a decision and here we are, right? Like, and still love myself through this, yuckiness through this ugliness like man i don't wish divorce on my worst enemy man it's it's (laughs) hurtful it's sad it's hard but also like i learned so much through that situation and like my book was literally that was me falling in love and chasing the fairy tale and then realizing like wow maybe this isn't what i want and navigating exiting the situation and navigating like choosing myself because I don't think I'd ever really chose myself first like I'm a selfless lover I put other people first I, I get my happiness from seeing the people I love be okay but I never really worried about me and I think like one of the things you learn is thank you sir thank you um <laughs> I think one of the things you learn is just that you can't pour out when you have nothing within right like you can't give to other people when you haven't filled yourself up um and like i loved with all i had but it wasn't enough because i didn't love myself first and you know like it's not about completing the other person so much that it is about building a world together to complete holes making more right
0: no, absolutely. No, thank you for, you know, again, and as someone that's twice divorced, let me tell you,
1: man, shout out to you. Cause I'm still trying to wrap my head around this no. second marriage. I don't know. I
0: mean, that's, you know, people, you know, for me, that's how I ended up in this situation. Like, absolutely. I had a lot of trauma and things I experienced growing up that all were compounded because I never spoke about anything that was difficult for me. But when I got in that second marriage and, and again, like you, from that first marriage, I was like, I just, I needed to know me first. And just like you, I, you know, my first husband, he's remarried. I'm so happy for him and, and all of that. And I've, I've talked to him. There's no love lost there, but I just, I needed to learn myself first. And, and rather than doing that, I ended up jumping into something else. And so when that turned out to be a disaster, I was like, I'm not failing again. I already did this. I can't. Like I'm, I'm 25. I can't be divorced. Like what is, no, there's no way. And so I was, again, like, I I couldn't wrap my mind around that. It seems like, it wasn't an option for me. And, And again, which is how I look like this, how I went through all of that. But for, you know, for people right now, a lot of them are sitting home. They miss their jobs. And really, you know, even if you love your job, it's I think it's really important to never define yourself through your job because jobs aren't always gonna be there. And, you know, so right now they're struggling. A lot of people are struggling right now being at home and not being able to have work as a distraction or the gym as a distraction or whatever it is. I think in sport, a lot of times you see athletes define, their, like their identity is in that sport and sports end for all of us. <laughs> for sure. (laughs) Like, yeah. So that, you know, that leads people down a bad mental health space when they don't understand that before it's over and before the the rug is kind of pulled up from under them. Even though you didn't grow up in the same house as your Hall of Fame mom, Pamela McGee, or your two-time world champion brother, DeBelle McGee, you are six foot seven. You were a highly touted recruit. You were a top 10 pick in the WNBA or yeah, WNBA draft. And you're very mar- much a part of just the, it's this incredible basketball legacy, but just having, you know, gotten familiar with your story, it doesn't seem like you've ever really defined yourself or your purpose as basketball. I am a very basketball sure. player, sure. you know, you at 25 years old saying, I'm going to step away from the WNBA for a couple of years and Go get a law degree. I think that's a great illustration of just how how much you don't maybe do that, or are different from what so many people do do. With everything, um, no, go ahead.
1: Oh no, yeah, no. I, I think that, like, I always say, like, basketball is what I do, not who I am. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is kudos to my father because he wouldn't let me play basketball growing up. Like the first thing he took away anytime I got in trouble when I was always in trouble was basketball. Um, and his whole argument was, you're going to play basketball. Like, I know that you're six, seven, obviously I wasn't six, seven at the time, but I was six, five at 13. That's crazy. And he was like, you know, I grew like a foot in middle school (laughs) and I was always tall. And in middle school, I would just became freaky tall, like huge. Right. And he was just like, you know, like you're going to come to basketball, obviously, like it's what you do. You're naturally good at it. Your whole family does it. And I was just like, so he wouldn't force me to do it. He was like, I don't want you to burn out. Like You're going to get here. And so by the time I actually got to basketball and take it seriously, it wasn't until high school. And so I kind of just, I kind of appreciated it in a different way, but I never thought it was who I was because it wasn't, I did so many other things before I became a basketball player. Um, and then I went to college and my head coach, Karen Aston was very lenient with me in, in, in terms of letting me do other things because she knew who I was. She understood that like, and I guarantee it was, the butt of every fight I had with her in college because she felt I wasn't dedicated enough and I felt like I needed time to do other stuff. Like I'm in college, right? So I tried a lot of things in college and it really ultimately led me to figure out what my life purpose was. But I think I've been always been in an environment where people allowed me to figure out who I was, whatever that meant. Um, and I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, right? Because we naturally attribute people to only being able to be great at one thing. Yeah and you see an athlete, you see what they're great at. So it's hard for us as humans to understand them doing something else because we know what you're great at. Like, what are you doing? Um, and so that's where a lot of that, like, kind of scariness or fear it is for athletes to do other things because we're like, we're great at this thing. So why why break what's not, bro-? you know, like, why, why fix it if it ain't broke? Because this is what I'm great at. Um, and I think for me, like, I've always just felt like, I need five lifetimes to live all the dreams I have, so I'ma do it, you know. And and for sure, I was so scared to do this leap and take this leap. And it's funny because it literally was just because somebody believed in me. Um, I kind of had this kind of dream. I spoke about, man, I want to go to law school at some point. Like I think I really want to do that. I think that's where I'm gonna be headed in five years, right? And um, somebody in our front office, she was like, our she was a community direction. Um, and like media person, and she was like, "Oh, that's crazy! Like, I'm applying to law school, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you guys next year and go to law school." And she's like, "I have all this LSAT stuff. Like, do you want it?" And I'm like, "Oh no! Like, it's fine. Like, you know, like I'm like right now, it's just a dream. Like, it's not, it's not tangible. Like, it's cool. I don't need it." She was like, "No, nah, take it. I don't need it." She's like, "Just take it, and you know, read it, look at it, try it out, and see how you feel." Like, she was like, "You can do it. It's not that hard. Like, you're smart, uh, whatever." And it literally was her believing in me to push me to be like maybe I can do this, right? So I start studying and I take the LSAT and I do okay. And I'm like, and she's like, that's a great, like, you know, like, it's literally that little, that little push of people around you saying like, oh, try this or try something different. Like we believe in you. And it's crazy how, how that can turn into this.
0: Yeah, no. And I've seen you and I've heard you say just that time you spent at the University of Texas really like saved your life because for sure. you had this community around you and you had people that were able to get you answers for some of these like lifelong questions that you had been struggling with in terms of like, you know, going to therapy, you started, you know, you, you started performing poetry even more and, and doing all of that. So you were able to grow rather than kind of, you know, struggling like you were when you were younger, but, you know, and now you founded a nonprofit called Hoops and Hope. And just from looking at your mission of that, trying to promote athletics and arts, trying to open up dialogue about mental health, about abuse, about violence, about sexual education, providing free therapy for kids in inner cities. It seems like your mission is really to be, you know, that safe space that you could have really benefited from and used growing up you know, for people sitting at home right now with their children during this time of social distancing, you know, what would you say to them about things they can do to make sure they're creating that safe space that you're kind of the work based on some of the work like you're doing, what can they do in their own homes to see their children and not just see, man, they're driving me crazy. They're out of control. They're angry. They're doing all of these things and say, like, let's look a little closer at that. How can... I help you get to a better place.
1: Yeah. Like I think obviously like I'm no parent, so I don't understand like what this means. Like what, how scary it is to have your kids full time and like kind of relearn what it's like to parent in that way. Like my dad has um, a three-year-old and one-year-old and he like sends me videos and my brother's going crazy. <laughs> He's like, we need them to be at this house at this point. <laughs> um, But I think like I always, I've been saying, you know, like it's okay to be struggling right now. And I think a lot of people like just as a site, we're very hard on,
0: yeah.
1: Um, we're very judgmental. And like, we're thinking, like if you're not making all these cool crafts for your kids and just loving them and being great right now, then you're a terrible parent. In reality, like, that's not the reality for a lot of us. For a lot of us, like, we've been working so hard to keep this roof over our head that we don't have time for our kids and we haven't. And this is the first time we've been able to kind of just have that quality time in a very long time. And like, like when I grew up, my father was asleep when I left the house and came home after I went to bed. So that was just like our reality. I didn't grow up in a let's have dinner every night family. I didn't grow up in a checking in family. So for me, like I completely understand how this can be really foreign because we've never had this much time. We've never been able to do these things like it's a privilege to have that time. Right. So I think one, like parents, give yourself a break. You know, like allow yourself that leeway to feel overwhelmed, to feel like this is different. And then also, like, take this moment to create that safe space at home, create that space of your kids feeling like they can do whatever they need to do and be whoever they need to be in this space. Um, and like my thing is, like, I want to create a safe space everywhere I go. I don't know if I have that many places that I felt safe when I was growing up. And when it comes to like sexual violence, it's crazy how the statistics of education really lower sexual violence and sexual abuse. So having these conversations with kids as early as eight, just even stuff as simple as naming your body parts anatomically correctly, instead of making nicknames for them, can help reduce the rate of childhood sexual violence. And it's something so sad and so small, right? And then as they get older and these things become more tangible, I've been talking to my parents about this forever. So why would I not bring this now? tangible story or tangible situation to my parents. It's not the taboo around sex. It's now, oh, let me just go explain this to my parents and ask how I handle it, as opposed to me figuring it out with my friends or from the internet or whatever the case may be. And like my goal is to really open up that dialogue between adults and children. And I know that's scary, right? It's scary to talk to your kids about sex and talk to your kids about these things that are very like new to you, right? Because most of us didn't grow up in those type of households. So how do I now change my household to be a sex-positive household, to be an open communication household, one where my kids feel loved and seen? That's not something that most of us get. So we, we, do, we do what we know, right? So it's scary to kind of try those new things.
0: No, absolutely. And, and just to be clear, I never am going to say, you know, you know, as people without kids, you know, you, neither one of us are parents. So, you know, we're going to tell you how to raise your kids. But I think there is something also to be said For someone that's had their own experience as a child can now see, man, you know, I've heard you say before that you, you know, in the four years from eight to 12 of being molested by your, your stepbrother, you knew your dad didn't know, but you also had these like feelings of you subconsciously blaming, blaming him. And so, you know, that probably being a lot of, you know, the rebellion and the acting out of just. You know, I can't. I don't feel safe here, and I know you don't know, but it's also your you job should. to keep me safe. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, like so. it's it, as I become an adult, I understand just the complexities of what adulthood looks like, right? I can understand how my parents made choices because they had to, and they aren't. They weren't always for the benefit of me, right? Like when we we're growing up, we see our parents as heroes. We don't understand that they're also people. Um, and like, I it took me a very long time to forgive my parents because. In my mind like you should make sure everything is perfect that should be protected and things should go right like it should be like we should look like a tv show right that's what you assume that's what you assume um and as i got older i understood like it was just unfortunate circumstances my father didn't know he's putting me in harm's way that's what he thought he thought that it was a safe environment and that's so that so often happens and we just don't know and we don't know how to figure that out and Like when I finally told my father, he was like, I get why from 15, freaking 20, like (laughs) it was just an uphill battle. And it was always a fight. Even when it came down to choosing my college, I didn't involve my father at all. I did it all by myself. And like, I didn't come home from college. I didn't come home after I left, left for school at 17 for five years. Yeah. Like not, not like. And, like, it was funny because when, when I brought my husband home for the first time for an extended period of time, like, my dad was like, hey, there's all these boxes in the, liver, in the closet, in the garage of, like, your room because I literally packed a bag and left and never came back. Um, and, like, obviously through a lot of therapy and work, like, we rekindled our relationship and we kind of understand and I understand better, like, that he did the best he can. Like, I was the first kid. I was a test dummy and um, you know like unfortunately some things fell through the cracks but it's great to see my father being a better parent with my younger siblings and and like to be able to have these real conversations with my mother now about how I feel and and you know like everything is a process of growth and I'm so thankful now to be able to have the relationship I do with my parents because I didn't grow up with it um and so you know like my story sucks um i always say like i've lived a life like i've gone through a lot but i'm blessed to be here so and i just take it as that
0: no and your story is not your story is beautiful because you know you know to look at someone that struggled so much and went through so much and now you've got a relationship with your parents that's that's on in a good place you've got you know, you didn't grow up in a house with your brother, Javel. You've got, I've seen that you guys seem to have a relationship. It's my now. guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so to be able to see that, but then also take what you didn't know, like like your mom says, you don't know what you don't know, and say, now I do know, and I want to share, so you don't have to go through this, I think is beautiful. And I think it's important work that you're doing. And I appreciate you just taking the time to, to have this conversation with me and help people understand just through what you've now come to understand.
1: Oh, for sure. I really appreciate you being open. I really appreciate you being open and having me and just allowing me this space and doing the work you do. Like it takes a village for us to change these things. And the more we talk about it and the more spaces we create for these things to be had and opened, then the better it's gonna get for all of us and the ones that come behind us. Awesome,
0: thank you so much.